This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 21st, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Do you have a moral duty to vote? And what makes a good voter versus a bad one? And what are the reasons for which it would be morally permissible for us to vote, even if it is already completely legal? Jason Brennan is author of The Ethics of Voting. We spoke before a forum for the book held today. You draw a distinction between the right to vote and the rightness of voting. Most people don't draw that distinction. Many people will claim that uh, you can vote however you like because you have the right to vote. But it's important to recognize what we mean by the, saying you have the right to do something. When we say that you have the right to do something, we mean typically uh, other people shouldn't co- interfere with you doing it and other, other people shouldn't prevent you from doing it. But it leaves open whether it's morally permissible or not. So there are th- lots of things you have the right to do that you shouldn't do. I have the right to, to join a neo-Nazi political party, but it would be morally deplorable for me to do so. I have the right to write Mein Kampf, advocating the extermination of Jews, but it would be morally deplorable for me to do so. Um, all it w- so it might be votings like that too. Maybe you have the right to do it. People should allow you to vote, but you shouldn't. You talk about uh, people who it is morally permissible uh, to have them vote and other people who morally shouldn't vote. They should not involve themselves in the process. Before you break down that, that category, how many – what share of the current voting eligible population in the United States falls into one versus the other? Yeah. I, if I don't really have hard and fast numbers, but I would guess that it's going to be under 25 percent are in the group where it's permissible for them to vote and somewhere like 75 percent who is impermissible for them to vote. It, okay. might, it might even be higher. I, I might be underestimating um, – or I might be overestimating uh, the number of good voters. Okay, so good voters. Good, what makes a good voter? Uh, so more for, formally speaking, a person is a good voter if he or she is going to vote for what uh, he or she justifiably believes will promote the common good. So there's a couple elements for that. One is that they're voting for not just for their own self-interest, but for um, the interest of all and for things that are going to be in, in the interest of many people, and also that they have proper credentials um, for their view, which means that they have – they don't just happen to have beliefs about politics, but they have evidence for those beliefs, justification for that belief. Lots of people have lots of opinions about politics, but those opinions are often baseless. They're not founded on anything. So I'm talking about people who actually have done the homework to actually have knowledge to think that when they when they vote for something, they're voting for something that would actually make the world better. So imagine there's a person named Betty Benevolence. Uh, Betty Benevolence wants to make the world a better place, but she tends to make it worse. Uh, when she sees a child that's starving, she'll take away the kid's remaining food. When she sees somebody who's hurt, she'll kick him in the shins. When she sees somebody drowning, she'll pour water on his face. Now, Betty sincerely believes she's helping, but she isn't. She's making it worse. There's a reason to think that a lot of voters are like that. They sincerely believe that they're voting for things that will make things better, but they just don't have any grounds for that. Uh, people don't often don't form their beliefs about politics in a rational way or on the basis of evidence. They're acting quite a bit like bad benevolence, and I'm asking them to refrain from voting. Uh, what makes society better um, is is a tough nut to crack. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of disagreement about what's right and wrong and what how, what things we should do. And so that leads to a skepticism about the idea of there even being a common good. Um, but I think, like, following, say, someone like F.A. Hayek, who is someone you'd expect to be skeptical of the notion of the common good, I think you can come up with a good uh, liberal theory of the common good that's uh, amenable to the idea that there's a lot of diversity in what people want out of society. And that's when you, you recognize that we all have a stake in there being certain kinds of institutions that increase our opportunities, that increase the amount of wealth available to us. Even if we don't want wealth, at least have it there available to us in case we come to want it, that give us a, lo- a lot of leeway in how we live our lives. So we all, we all depend upon certain background institutions that enable us to, to uh, 
live our conception of the good life. You might want to be one thing. I might want to be something else. You might want to be a lawyer. I might want to be a physician or a truck driver, who knows what. But there are certain background institutions that tend to promote our ability to lead our separate conceptions of the good life, and there are other kinds of institutions and policies that tend to demote that. So having things like stable money and stable government and peace and a general culture of prosperity and a generally open culture, these are things that benefit the overwhelming majority of people. And so when I'm talking about promoting the common good, I'm thinking about that. In contrast to the idea of, of politics being a grab bag where uh, we're, we're all fighting to exploit each other first. We know that we're going to exploit each other, and I'm just going to make sure my side exploits you before you exploit mine. One of the problems with voting and how voting is typically expressed by people in the United States is that we don't vote for policies. We vote for a, an amalgamation of policies in people. And oftentimes, because of that, people think they should be voting on the basis of character. Um, you look at the character of the person rather than uh, the policies they stand behind. And so it's tricky. I mean, I tend to think uh, you should see a person as being a stand-in for a set of policies. And granted, that, that because just because a politician says he's going to implement a certain set of policies doesn't mean he will. Um, he might not be able to, even if he's sincere, or he might be insincere. And so it's hard to know what will actually happen. But if you've studied politics enough, you can make reasonable judgments about the overall bent and overall effect somebody will have, the kind of direction he'll tend to push us in. And then you have to ask whether that's going to be a good or a bad direction for us to go in. As to the uh, moral duty to vote, it's widely viewed as a civic duty. You're supposed to vote. If you don't vote, you can't complain. Uh, these are sort of common uh, sophisms that are offered by people that say, well, hey, you know, you need to do your part, and voting is viewed as this ultimate expression of participation in our republic. Yeah, in the book, uh, I look at a number of arguments in favor of there being a duty to vote, and as far as I can tell, none of them succeed. But one of the best arguments that people come up with is something like the claim that if you're not voting, you're free riding on other people who provide good government for you. In the same way that so other people vote, they provide government, and you benefit from government. It's kind of like they do all the work, and you just take the benefits, and you do nothing back in return. It'd be like if uh, other people pay taxes for the roads, and you don't pay taxes, but you still use the roads, then you're you're free riding on other people. But that's not that's not that's the that's a flawed argument. Yeah, I think that's a bad argument. And here's the reason: I don't see it as. Uh, if you're not voting, you're not. That doesn't mean you're necessarily free riding, because there's all sorts of other things you can do to do your part. Politics is just one thing among many. I like to use a metaphor of a bundle of sticks. You say you know a bundle of goods. Like somebody gives you, uh, you get, from being a member of society, you get some political goods, you get some cultural goods, you get some economic goods, you get all these goods from being a member of society. And suppose you think that you have a duty to repay, repay in, <clears throat> in turn for those goods that you've received. It doesn't follow that for every kind of good you get, you have to provide the same thing back. Maybe you can uh, pay back your debt to society if there is such a thing. Um, by providing economic opportunities or by providing art or culture. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to provide everything back in turn. So just because you benefit from politics doesn't mean you have to pay for politics by doing politics. You might instead pay for it by uh, providing good culture, good, good economic opportunities, and so on. But there's another issue here. If a thousand people participate in a process um, and the next day or you have a, a, an identical situation where – a thousand people are eligible to participate in a process, but only ten do, uh, and the outcome of the voting is the same. You haven't really altered anything when it comes to uh, government. 
I mean, it's not for me, it's not there's nothing magic about numbers. It's not that if only we had exactly 27 people vote, everything would be fine because uh, it depends on who's voting. Rather, it's about the quality of people who participate. So if you have if you only have people who have a very good background um, in, say, the social sciences and who are able to process information in a rational way, they're not being biased and ideological in a bad way. Um, and they are genuinely interested in making the country and the world better off. If only people like that are voting, um, it doesn't matter what the number percentage of them are, but just if only people like that are voting, you're going to get better quality government than we currently have and we'll all benefit. Uh, it's not about just having a small number versus a large number. So you don't get things like subsidies uh, for self-interested groups. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it might be much harder to. And I don't want to say that like subsidies would go away because voting matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. Uh, there, Despite having very good voting, you might still have a lot of bad policies occur because there are all sorts of other influences in politics. Um, and despite having bad voting, you might have good political outcomes, but it would make things a lot better overall. Jason Brennan is author of The Ethics of Voting. You could watch or listen to today's forum at cato.org.